Well, hello there. It's Kina. Before we get into part two of Early Advanced Civilizations, we wanted to let you know that we are giving away a spooky movie night on us. It is spooky season, and we love this shit. So we are going to send somebody a package that's going to have a painted booze glass by yours truly, a spooky artsy surprise from Natalie, some scary DVDs, probably a mix of some epic classics and slashers and more contemporary spooky. And we'll add popcorn and candy for days in there. So all you have to do to win is be a Patreon member. So if you're already in our Patreon fam, you already entered. You don't have to do anything. Just keep being awesome. But if you've been on the fence about joining Patreon, maybe uh, let this be the little nudge that you needed to join. So go over to patreon.com slash historical AF pod to check out our tiers. There's so much stuff you get. It's all exclusive content you can't get anywhere else. And you also get early access to everything. So why wouldn't you join? Check it out. All right, guys. See you in like two seconds. Take it away, intro. Hello, pod people. This is Historical AF. Get ready for a wild ride because we've got Kina. Audrey and myself, Natalie, and we've got Ruger, Murray, and our little kitty cat friend, Vincent Van Gogh. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> We're a story to librarian and a special guest delivering the funny, weird, spooky, and morbid historical nuggets you never knew you needed in your ear holes. This is episode 25, part two. Ooh. Mic drop. The dramatic intro. Yeah, all the animals decided to podcast with us today. It's fun. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming back, Audrey. We had so much fun with you last week, which was actually yesterday for us. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me again. This is a blast, but I'm not going to get as drunk as I did last week. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, if you're not on Patreon, you should be, because that was a wild ride. (laughs) (laughs) I... One of my favorite things is that we have people that live tweet our episodes. And the second the notification went up for the drunk dive, he started live tweeting. It cracked me up. He's like, you guys were hammered. (laughs) (laughs) Why, yes. Yes, we were. That Uh, is the goal. Like, that's that's a thing. (laughs) I think that was the drunkest I've been for a recording. (laughs) I think me too. Yeah, I think... I think I just mixed my drinks a little too strong. I was hitting it hard, and then I didn't eat before. And then, Audrey, that was your breakfast, so, you know, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Sip. So what are we drinking tonight? Oh, my wink wine. My wink wine club. Which one are you okay. trying? I'm drinking the rest of the Outer Sounds, because I didn't commit last time I drank this, and I only drank half of it. So drinking the other half today. What are you drinking, Natalie? Rum and Coke again, but, <laughs> but a lot more dialed down than yesterday. <laughs> and I, I shoved some food in my face right before I turned on the camera. <laughs> Audrey, what do you have? What's your breakfast? My breakfast drink is rum and Coke, but yeah. dialed it down. <laughs> That's how I judge my drinks. Like, do I have shit to do after this? <laughs> yes. 
Today I have to write a formal paper in APA format. Yeah, I'm getting my bachelor's in nursing. So. Uh, I hate APA. I hate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it started out, you know, history, which is Chicago style, the Turabian. And then I doubled and I did psychology, but psychology was APA. So I was having to write an APA in Chicago at the same time. And I was like, if I can hate this. Yeah. Chicago makes way more sense to me. I've never yeah. heard of Chicago style. <laughs> I heard Chicago style pizza. <laughs> Only acceptable Chicago is pizza. No, it's it's how I wrote my thesis. It's more liberal art type. Okay. Uh-huh. APA is more scientific based and MLA is more literature. Nobody tunes in to hear me talk about citing my sources. <laughs> Audrey, what made you become a nurse? I used to take care of my grandma when I was 21. And the nurses that helped us were awesome. And so then I was like, I think I want to do this. Because, yeah, they were like sunshine in our cloudy day. <laughs> <laughs> And then when I was in nursing school, I made one of my best friends wanted to be a NICU nurse, like from birth. So she was like, you should do NICU with me, neonatal intensive care. So I was like, I'll try it. And then I was like, I love this. (laughs) (laughs) Best job ever. Now I quit my job and I moved to Japan and I don't know what I'm doing with my life anymore. (laughs) I mean, it's not like we had a choice of quitting our jobs in the military. Then it's a letter being like, you have three months to get out of here. Uh-huh. Did you have three months, too? We, gave us we three had months. six months. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, we had three. It's like, well, that's fun. Three months. Wow. <laughs> and you were in the middle of, end of getting your degree, your master's, right? Yeah, I was halfway through. So I'd finished two semesters, and I was in my internship in Crystal Bridges, and we got the letter being like, you have three months. It's like, oh, my God. So I ended up finishing a semester early, which do not recommend for grad <laughs> school. Don't do that. So many meltdowns. <laughs> I'm still tired. <laughs> I doubled up. I took summer school. It, it sucked. And then I wrote my thesis in basically a month. Also, do not recommend. Wow. Yeah. It was a lot of Diet Coke, energy drinks, and Adderall. <laughs> <laughs> Prescription. I'm not a druggie, but yeah, I didn't sleep for a good two weeks. It was oh, it was so sad, so sad for me. And I didn't have any furniture in my house either because Zeke had to leave before me. So all I had was a bed, a couch, and a table. So I'm in this empty house. It's echoing, and then <laughs> I put all my notes on the wall so that I could like visually see how I was gonna do it because I had to write my thesis, but I also had to make a website at the same time. So they had to be cohesive. So I just started taking like note cards and my whole wall. It looked like I was trying to catch a serial killer. It was, yeah, I do not recommend. But you did it. Yeah, I got my little piece of paper on the wall. I mean, that's all it is, basically, is I mail you a piece of paper. It's like, yay, you did this. And I got an award, which I thought was hilarious because I got graduate student of the year when I left. They spelled my name wrong. So I'm like, this just sums up my whole experience. It did my luck. <laughs> I got 4.0. Like, I, I did this amazing thing, and then they called me Kina Steers. And I was like, all right. <laughs> it was so close, though. It is. I have it on the desk. You know, it keeps me humble. Anywho, I'm going to get started. All right, let me fill top off my glass here. 
my, my wink wine intent. <laughs> and then I'm going to start with weird. Yay. <laughs> oh, man. Get ready, because I'm about to rant about aliens. I mean, I, it's become a thing. And it is speaking of which, we made buttons, and it says history lesson. And it's just like, it was not aliens, you know? So we're giving them out to Patreon members. Um, <laughs> all right. Let me make this bigger because I'm blind. Oh, my God. What is wrong with me? <laughs> Again, that's extra funny because you're wearing glasses. Like <laughs> I know. It's just it's so little. I don't. Oh, my God. I'm turning into my mom. I'm going to be even more my mom because someday I'll have my faraway glasses on my head and my closed glasses on my face and be like, where's my glasses? And they're both on my head. That'll be me soon. All right, so the idea here is that a lot of ancient civilizations were so advanced that white people showed up and was like, my mind's fucking blown. How did they do this? They apparently didn't do this because we didn't do this. So aliens. So that sums up my (laughs) segment here. This theory was made popular by the History Channel, dear God helps all, that argues that aliens have been a constant contact with Earth and have helped forge mankind into a society that we are today. Come on, History Channel. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, it's like Hitler, aliens. There's no actual history anymore. So here's my grievance. But I got a lot of this from the National Geographic website. And there's a lot of subtle shade being thrown at History Channel. And it made me very happy. So I went with this one. There's actually no scientific grounds that support these ideas. I know you're shocked. But people continue to believe and argue that some of the structures, like the six I'm going to tell you about, were built with the help of aliens. That makes me (laughs) sad. Just sad for humanity. So, again, it doesn't really seem like anybody's giving credit to our ancestors for being badass geniuses. And it's also kind of a dick move to immediately give credit to aliens, even though there is zero evidence that aliens exist. Despite decades of searching, failed raids of Area 51, and blasting records into space with no response. They send some really good music out there. you think somebody would answer, but, you know. <laughs> Right. Maybe they have yeah. bad taste. <laughs> Maybe. Isn't there a movie where they get a message back? Contact. Contact. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite movies. I actually it's really love it. movie. It really is. Jodie Foster? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good Solid. one. Solid movie so (laughs) what makes more sense that undiscovered alien species came down to earth built some shit and you know left or that our ancestors were actually more advanced than we currently know about and accomplished incredible things i mean i hope that was a collective yes kina the second one stop lecturing us about aliens and killing our joy (laughs) (laughs) i am a broken record it just makes me so angry but all right so i'm gonna talk about six places that if you Google, the first thing that pops up is aliens. This is the world we live in now. All right. So the number one is called Sex a Woman, which I saw a few websites that were like, just say sexy woman. That's how you pronounce this. So that made me laugh. But <laughs> it's outside the old Inca capital of Cusco, a fortress called Sex a Human rests in the Peruvian Andes, which every time I think of Cusco, I think Emperor Cusco, you know, yes. the llama. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Solid movie. I love it so much. <laughs> I had a bearded dragon, and I named him Emperor Cusco, and then his home was, you know, Cusco-topia. I'm a nerd. It's fine. Was there a pool? There has to be a pool. Yes, it was! And he had a little hammock, and then he would plop down in the pool. It was great. He was. (laughs) 
<laughs> All right. So this fortress is built from enormous stones that have been chiseled and precisely stacked together like a jigsaw puzzle. Some say that this fortress could be the work of ancient civilizations that had help from little interstellar friends. Or they just, you know, figured out tools. Anyway, the thousand-year-old interlocking fortress walls are made of rocks that weigh as much as 360 tons each. And they were carried for more than 20 miles before being lifted and fit into place with laser-like precision. So, that does seem extraordinary. So, I get being like, how did they do it? How an ancient culture accomplished such a feat out of engineering is a fun little problem to solve. Turns out, shocker, that the Inca were as adept as building houses and other complexes as they were keeping watch of the sky and keeping calendars. So they were just super smart. In fact, six, uh, I can't want to be like sexy woman. That's not sexy <laughs> woman. Yeah, okay. Isn't the only example of this intricate masonry. Similar walls exist throughout the Inca Empire, including one in Cusco where a 12-angled stone has been carefully wedged into place. More recently, archaeologists have uncovered traces of rope and lever systems that the Inca used to transport stone into their quarries, or from their quarries to their cities. And this system relied on strength, ingenuity, rather than aliens. <laughs> I think it's really cool, though. The thing, the 360 tons each, and they did that with just pulleys and ropes. That just blows my mind. It really yeah. is amazing. The, it really is. Yeah. They're also just, these were civilizations that created math. And with math, you can do basically anything. Engineering is math. So right. you could figure out all that. But I guess people are, it's easier to be like, aliens. Oh, my God. All right. So number two is the Nazca Lines, which we also did a drunk dive on uh, Indiana Jones, where they fucked up the Nazca Lines. So I went on a giant rant about that. So, on the high and dry plateau, some 200 miles southeast of Lima, Peru, more than 800 long, straight white lines are etched into the Peruvian desert, seemingly at random. Joining them are 300 geometric shapes and 70 figures, including a spider, monkey, and a hummingbird. The longest of the lines runs straight as an arrow for miles. Scientists suspect that the Nazca drawings are as many as two millennia old. And because of their age, size, and visibility from above, and mysterious nature, the lines are often cited as being one of the best examples of alien handiwork on Earth. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Otherwise, how would an ancient culture be able to make such a huge design in the desert without being able to fly? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Turns out, it's rather easy to understand how. These enigmatic designs are made by removing the top rust-colored layer of rock and exposing the bright white sand underneath. The why is a bit tougher to comprehend. First studied in the early 1900s, the designs were initially suspected to be aligned with the constellations or solstices, but more recent scholarly work suggests that the Nazca lines point to ceremonial or ritual sites related to water and fertility. And in addition to being visible from air, the shapes can be seen from surrounding foothills. So. It makes okay. sense. If you're building a giant-ass pyramid as a sign of fertility and to your gods and stuff, it doesn't seem like that crazy that you would etch things into the ground, too, of that magnitude. Yeah. I mean, like, how how big are these? Like, miles long? Or Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's huge. Yeah, I'm looking at aerial pictures from space. <laughs> yeah, they're enormous, and they're really cool. But, again, math. You know, you can figure out it's the same thing if you're on a very small scale. But if you're doing a mural, 
you plan it out first and then you know how many you know feet or whatever to do yeah yeah like like graph paper basically yeah yeah and they're a master of mathematics so i'm sure they figured out how to graph shit so (laughs) all right my next one is the egyptian pyramids which is probably one of the most popular alien things definitely just outside of cairo in giza the most famous of egypt's pyramids rise from the desert Built more than 4,500 years ago, the pyramids at Giza are monumental tombs that housed ancient queens and pharaohs where they were buried. But how exactly did the Egyptians build these things? The Great Pyramid is made of millions of precisely hewn stones weighing at least two tons each. Even with today's cranes and other construction equipment, building the pyramids as big as these would have been a huge challenge. To make this even more crazy, there's actually an astronomy connection. The pyramids are aligned with what they think is Orion's belt. So, are Egypt's pyramids artifacts of aliens? No, they are not. It's true the scientists aren't quite exactly how they built the pyramids, and especially how they did it so quickly. But there's so much evidence that shows that these are just the works of thousands of people. It is kind of crazy, though, that all of these civilizations have pyramids or you know there's like similarities and different from di- different continent and, mm-hmm. yeah like what yeah. is it people and pyramids <laughs> the illuminati <laughs> <laughs> yes okay next we have stonehenge it's a huge circle of stone some weighing as much as 50 tons that sits in the english countryside outside of salisbury Known as Stonehenge, the Neolithic monuments inspired Swiss author Eric von Duncan to suggest it was a model of the solar system. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry. I don't know how to say I can't do Swiss. <sighs> when, when you can't pronounce it, say it very redneckish. I mean, I think I do that on accident. The hills come out and it just sounds even worse. Oh, God. It has little dots. I don't know how to do that. I'm sorry, Swiss people. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, how do you pronounce those? Ikea is full of them. True. <laughs> God, I love Ikea. Oh, they just built one here. I'm so excited. Oh, really? Yeah, Woo-hoo. I've been like four times already. It's amazing. <laughs> Anywho, so this guy said that it was a model of the solar system, but people suggest that it's an alien landing pad. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and then the idea is how did they get these huge stones, you know? where they're at because they, they had to have been moved hundreds of miles from the quarry so that's another one of those big mysteries no one knows exactly the meaning of stonehenge but as well with other sites in this collection the explanation is not aliens instead scientists have demonstrated it's actually quite possible to build such a thing using technology that they had 5,000 years ago but uh do you guys watch the good place yes I just finished the newest season on Netflix, which I guess is season three or four, yes. whatever was on there. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's probably one of my favorite shows. And I saw the preview and Eleanor was telling she was saying, you can have anything you want. You can ask for anything. You know, Janet, I want an elephant that can tell you all the answers of the universe. So this little elephant shows up it's like Stonehenge was a sex thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. (laughs) So the next one is Teotihuacan, and its meaning is City of the Gods. It's a sprawling ancient city in Mexico that's best known for its pyramidal temples and its astronomy alignment. It's built more than 2,000 years ago. 
It's age, size, and complexity. It can make it seem otherworldly, but it's also just work of humans. Scientists suspect that over the centuries, a mix of cultures, including Maya, uh, Mystec, and Sapotec, built a city that could house more than 100,000 people. With its murals, tools, transportation system, and evidence of agricultural practices, Teotihuacan is often considered much more technologically developed than uh, should have been possible for pre-Aztec Mexico. That's another place on my bucket list. I want to go there so bad. By far, the most well-known of Teotihuacan's buildings is the massive Pyramid of the Sun, one of the largest such constructions in the Western Hemisphere. The pyramid's curious alignment is believed to be the base of their calendar cycles. So, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And then the last one, we're going to throw it back to the first episode ever when I talked about Easter Island. <laughs> There's a lot of, like, mystery surrounding the Moai. But they were carved from stone. Nearly 900 human figures are sprinkled along the flanks of the island's extinct volcanoes. The figures average 13 feet tall and weigh 14 tons each. And they've appeared to be chiseled from the soft volcano tuff found in the, oh God, Rano Raruku, Corey? Perfect. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Nailed it. There's more than 400 statues that are still in various states of construction, with some completed figures awaiting transportation to their intended resting place, and then some were never finished. The reasons for carving the Moai are mysterious, but they were most likely sculpted for religious or ritual reasons, and it's not exactly what clear what happened to the Rabanui, but there's a lot of theories that suggest they succumbed to an environmental disaster of their own making, which in episode one, there's a theory that deforestation... So the whole island went to shit because there's no trees. So erosion. And then there's one theory that all that led to cannibalism. <laughs> I was thinking <laughs> it's, like it's a fun like A to B, you know, deforestation, <laughs> cannibalism, which also we have a sticker that says that plant trees prevent cannibalism. That is also coming out to Patreon people. Shameless plug. I feel like it's a norm, though. Like, you start off one way and then uh, either sacrifice or cannibalism or both. <laughs> I know. I think there's a theme. Or just, people are just fucked up. You know? It's true. Like, that's just bad. Well, I think it is one of those things that people should pay more attention to because the entire civilization, they became extinct while they were building these things. So it had to have been relatively fast. And it's just because they tore down all the trees. So, you know, <laughs> Amazon's on fire, people. We should not deforest the earth. We're all going to die. That went dark. What do you got, <laughs> Natalie? <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing. Also, aliens aren't going to come here. They're going to lock Maybe. their doors when they fly by. All right. Love wine? We've got the perfect wine club for you. Wink. Wink is a revolutionary wine club that delivers high-quality wine straight to your door. They partner with innovative winemakers from all over the world to produce a wide variety of small-lot, handcrafted wines for their members. With Wink, you have the freedom to pick and choose the types of wines and the number of bottles you receive each month. The best part is they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee on every single bottle. Start drinking personalized wine selections today. Try Wink. Right now, Wink is offering our listeners $22 off four bottles of wine plus complimentary shipping when you go to trywink.com slash historical AF. That's basically four bottles of wine. They're super high quality and amazing for under $40. So go to trywink.com slash historical AF 
Go ahead and take something off your to-do list. Go to trywink.com slash historical AF to get that $22 off of your four bottles of wine and the complimentary shipping. Okay, one more time. That's trywink.com slash historical AF. And that's wink, W-I-N-C. Woo! Wink, wink. (laughs) (laughs) We're winking at you. You can't tell. You wink while you drink wink. It's so good. Next one? Yeah! Or do you have another thing on your list? Nope, nope, that was it. Okay. I am done. I ended with cannibalism, so. Like you do. Like you do. <laughs> <laughs> That's literally the last bullet point, cannibalism. <laughs> I love it. It's so terrible, but it's amazing. Well, my thing is funny this week, and... So last episode, my word was tools. And when I was looking up inventions and tools that were really helpful in life or just really interesting, I kind of discovered on this article that was funny invention origin stories. So I have five inventions that have an interesting origin story. And and a couple of them made me laugh. So hopefully y'all will enjoy this as well. First up is the stethoscope. Oh, cool. So, so handy that Audrey's a nurse. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> so it was created by a French doctor named Rene. And Mr. Rene has three other names that are full of letters that I will not try. <laughs> so Mr. Rene, he was born in 1781 and he passed away in 1826. So he didn't really have that long of a life. Oh, and he worked at a hospital in Paris. He invented the stethoscope, which was the year 1816. So this is 10 years before he died. Oh, wow. actually. So at that time, it was common for doctors just to tap on a patient's chest to feel their heart and stuff to check, just like tap, tap on them. I don't know how they thought that was good. A little thump, thump. Tap, tap. Yeah. Okay. They also Wait. used to put smoke up your ass to save you from drowning. So what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like if you're in the water or what? It would like just- when they pull you out. You know how now there's like defibrillators everywhere that you might have a heart attack. They're on the walls. They'd have them by waterways to save people from drowning. There's one instance for a lady. I talked about it in one episode a long time ago. But they did it. But the embers like got her up the butt and that's what woke her up it wasn't smoke <laughs> it was like embers in your butthole of course you're gonna i guess yeah. it would stimulate like a vagal response you like uh oh guys god people were dumb back then <laughs> don't haunt me but you were dumb <laughs> they're coming for you <laughs> with smoke okay can we go back to stethoscopes please yeah <laughs> like <laughs> Yes, ADD is strong. So tapping on a patient's chest to get clues for whatever condition they may have. That does not make sense to me, but that is apparently what they thought. They still do that. It's called palpating. Like you can percuss and palpate. There's a whole way of what is it, assessment of a patient. So they, they still do that. Yeah. Well, no, that, that makes sense. But kind of how it's described, though, like he's checking their heartbeat and he's just thunking on their chest or on the very back where the heart would be. I'm like, you can't really I can't imagine getting much information back on that one. Yeah. (laughs) 
But I, I understand, like, especially with your spleen or if something's yeah. swollen or enlarged, like, that that does make sense. But for Dr. Rene, when he had a girl as a patient, just, I guess, to not embarrass her or anything for like, privacy's sake, instead of touching her, he rolled up a tube of paper and listened and oh. put it up to her chest and listened. And he realized, like, shit, this works a hell of a lot better than <laughs> tapping around, like looking for a stud or something. And that's what led to the stethoscope. Wow. Wow. Yep. The next is, (laughs) the next is the Band-Aid, which I'm like, oh yeah, that is a thing. Like that is an invention. (laughs) Or if you're in Europe, it's called a plaster. So they were created in 1920 by a cotton buyer for Johnson and Johnson named Earl Dixon. And he was married to a clumsy woman named Josephine. (laughs) Josephine was very accident prone, which made life difficult for poor Earl, since medical attention wasn't cheap. When he realized that his his wife's accidents wouldn't stop, well, yeah, it's fucking life wouldn't stop. God damn it. He had an idea. He would cut a small piece of gauze and then put a little bit of adhesive on each end, creating a band-aid. Josephine's wounds were saved from getting infected and... (laughs) Sorry, I love this sentence. Josephine's wounds were saved from getting infected, but no one knows if she stopped walking into walls or not. (laughs) I don't know. As somebody who's also accident prone, I can confirm that you will never stop running into walls. I don't do it on purpose. By 1939, Band-Aids were also sterilized, so just in time for World War II. So that came in handy. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. Can you imagine being a field nurse at that time? Next up is nitrous oxide anesthesia. Oh. So before anesthesia, doctors were judged on actually how fast they could complete a procedure based on actually if they were good or not on technical skill. And that kind of blows my mind and worry. And it's like, no wonder we had short lifespans. <laughs> God, um, you just hope at that point that you'd get drunk enough that you just pass out before they start cutting into you. And that's pretty much what they did. They, the attendees to relieve patient's pain was alcohol or hitting the person in the head so hard they would black out or any <laughs> type of distraction. Like, that was it. Damn. Oh, God. So they would hit someone so hard where they blacked out. But that changed when Horace Wells, a dentist from Hartford, USA, had a moment of vision. In 1844, Nitrous oxide use, which is a gas and used by dentists, was considered a party drug since it made people happy and relaxed. (laughs) His friend once took too much of laughing gas during a stage show, hoping to entertain the crowd. During the act, he accidentally cut his leg, but to his surprise, he didn't feel a thing. Excited by this discovery, Horace patented the use of nitrous oxide as the most primitive anesthetic. Wow. Although Horace Wells is credited with this creation of anesthesia, he actually had a tragic death because he got addicted to this stuff. Mm. Oh, no. Yes. So it was like a, a morbid kind of vibe on that one. Like, it's it's just interesting. He created or helped discover that this was a good anesthesia and then had too much fun of it in his life. Reminds me of the Little Shop of Horrors, the dentist. Yes. I was I just think... talking to a coworker about that. I think it kills him too, doesn't it? Like, no, yes. no, he get he gets fed to the. 
Well, actually, in the, I don't know. I can't remember if the movie does it, but in the play version, the dentist does die by the gas. That's right. That's right. Yeah. He uh, puts the thing on his head. And, like, the knob breaks off and everything. Yeah. And, yeah. He, and then Seymour ends up feeding him to the plant, but he doesn't kill him. That's right. Oh, yeah. wow. He kills himself. Yeah. And it's funny. I was just talking to a coworker about this yesterday so that's funny like didn't even think about that didn't plan it <laughs> and audrey um, too thank you audrey one i guess do you have a little plant out there named after you then <laughs> i'm audrey too <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> I think it's crazy that Audrey too is the plant and he's got like the deepest voice. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Well, granted, Seymour didn't realize the plant would talk though. So, you know. <laughs> True. All right. Next up is the microwave. Ooh. I didn't realize how old the microwave is. Do y'all want to give it a guess? Since the 30s. <laughs> In the 30s. And then what was yours, Audrey? I'm going to say the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> Just a while ago. But Kina's right. It's 1932. What? Time to go. Uh, I am amazing. <laughs> Percy Spencer managed to become one of the three people hired to install electricity in a paper mill plant despite having never received any formal training. He is actually a self-taught person. He... On his own, because of hard work and talent, he taught himself trigonometry, calculus, chemistry, physics, and working with metals and other subjects. And he won a government contract because of creating the microwave. The microwave led to also combat radar equipment in World War II. So I, like, I think that's funny that they were both It's so related. Huh. But standing in front of an active radar set when he noticed that the candy bar in his pocket had melted after much investigation he developed a huge box that could shoot electromagnetic radiation at food objects to heat them up now that we have similar but smaller boxes to make us popcorn and reheat the leftovers the first <laughs> microwave was actually larger than an oven wow, oh, wow. <laughs> I think that's crazy like just put it in the oven then like <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true. It's not what point? Who has room for that? I also think it's interesting in this article they mentioned he couldn't even finish grammar school. Fuck grammar school, okay? With my dyslexia and all that other shit, grammar's hard, okay? Yeah, is. English is hard, y'all. So that, I'm like, no, no, he's fine. I don't care if you finish grammar school or not. <laughs> I mean... Your brain has two sides. If you're right side dominant or left side dominant, you're not going to be good at the other things. People that are super good at numbers are usually not good at English and like yeah. history. And people like oh, me are good at history and English. I'm not good at numbers at all. So some people just aren't good at school. Mm-hmm. Dilly Putty is another good one. During Ooh. World War II, engineer James Wright was working for the U.S. War Production Board trying to create an inexpensive substitute for synthetic rubber. And he basically mixed silicone, oil, and boric acid in an attempt to find a cheap alternative to make rubber treads for tanks and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But with that combination, it ended up being really stretchy and bouncier and thus became Silly Putty, which we now know as a toy and even actually help clean up your stuff. And 
I didn't realize people actually used it as a cleaning thing to like help pick up dust or dirt or grime or whatever. I'm like, that's oh. just kind of gross to me. But people do that apparently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the fun thing apparently. I like about it in this article is astronauts on Apollo 8 in the moon mission used it to actually keep their tools secure to the walls. Oh, cool. So I thought that was like, all right, I didn't know that. I had a, a great uncle that used it as earplugs. And then oh, no. he had to go to the emergency room and get the silly putty <laughs> out of his ear. Oh, I bet that was a fun time. Yeah. Did he just like <laughs> stick it in too deep or something or just I stay in there? Oh, so, yeah. He's like, this doesn't work. <laughs> oh, oh, gosh. I'm glad I got it out at least. <laughs> like, yeah. Worse. <laughs> Last but not least, and this one also kind of made me laugh, T-shirts. You wouldn't really think of a T-shirt as an invention. Right, but, yeah. But it is, actually. Yeah. So standard, though, now. Yeah, blue jeans and a T-shirt. Yeah, exactly. So T-shirts were geared for bachelors, actually. <laughs> because at this point, everyone's wearing button-up shirts. And... Apparently, sewing is a woman's thing. I don't know if you knew mm. that. Oh, and course. so, if you were a bachelor and you didn't have a lady, you didn't have that woman to sew on the button that fell off, you're like, well, hot damn, I just got to buy a new shirt then. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but lo and behold, t-shirt for bachelors, for those who don't have that woman <laughs> to sew their button back in. <laughs> Oh my god. It's so stupid. Yeah, it totally makes sense once you've said it, but god damn. <laughs> but the year is 1904, and apparently they did learn how to sew. And in the advertisement, it says no safety pin, no buttons, no needle, no thread. <laughs> Turned into men with no wives that couldn't sew. Within a year, the U.S. Navy saw the ad and started issuing shirts for every sailor. And the rest, they say, is history, because now they're everywhere. In this article, they even show a picture of the old ad. Oh, wow. And it's interesting. It's the bachelor undershirt. That's what it's called. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. I love those old advertisements. Me too. So offensive, but so funny. Yeah. On, I think it's on Amazon Prime. There's a TV show, but it's a bunch of old ads from... The oh, cool. 50s or something about being a housewife. And yeah, very offensive, you know, <laughs> but interesting. Oh, yeah. That was the last one. But my favorite, too, is the stethoscope and the t shirt. Those just cracked me up. All right. Well, I'm going to end it out with the seven wonders of the world. <laughs> I'm geeking out a little bit. These are just so fun to me. I remember when I was a kid, I had a book of the seven wonders of the world, and I would just, like, read it all the time. Be like, oh, my God. I mean, this has always been me. I've always been a China-ass nerd, but... <sighs> nerd. All right. So, a lot of this actually came from History Channel, because I feel like it needed to redeem itself from all the fucking alien shit. So, this is my main source. <laughs> they do some good things. <laughs> uh, so, the amazing works of art and architecture known as the Seven Wonders of the Ancient World serve as a testament to the ingenuity, imagination, and sheer hard work of human beings throughout history. They are also a reminder that people are dick. As soon as ancient writers started compiling this list of seven wonders, it became fodder, and people started debating over which achievement was better, and then they just ended up fucking everything up. So, (laughs) 
Way to go, humanity. <laughs> well, the original list was written by Philo of Byzantium, and it was written in 225 BCE. Wow. That's a long-ass time ago. And it was titled On the Seven Wonders. Again, humans are dicks, so alongside natural forces, so, you know, some things that we can't help. Uh, all of them were destroyed except for one. So, uh, yeah, all of them are gone. What, what's the one that remains? Uh, the pyramid. Oh. Yeah, that's the only one. Also, I'm another buzzkill. Um, there's actually evidence that one of these never existed at all. So I'm about to probably ruin people's. You know. No, that's like saying Pluto's on a planet. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the first one is the Great Pyramid, and we just talked about it. One thing about the Great Pyramids that I thought was really cool is I had to take African art history in college. And Egypt was called Kemet. Like, they didn't call it Egypt. That's the name for it. So all these things have ancient Egyptian names, too, which I thought was really cool. Okay, so we talked about how Giza is in Egypt. And the Great Pyramid is part of three pyramids. There's Khufu, Khafre, and Makara. And they were built between 2700 BCE and 2500 BCE as royal tombs. And the largest one is the Khufu. And it covers 13 acres and is believed to contain more than 2 million stone blocks that weigh about 30 tons each. That is a lot of stone. Holy crap. And for 4,000 years, Khufu reigned as the tallest building in the entire world. It took modern man until the 19th century to build a taller structure than it, which I guess I also did not know that. Yeah. They're nearly symmetrical and they were built without the aid of modern tools or surveying equipment. So a lot of people are like, how did they do this? But. A lot of new evidence says that they used log rollers and sledges to move the stones into place. But yeah, it was built as a step pyramid and then it was filled in with limestone. It's very, it's really cool. And it's the only one that still exists. So it's kind of wild to think about how old it is. It's still, still hanging in there. (laughs) I want to go. Oh, me too. Yeah. You can't really do much. Like you see, you could go up to it and like touch it and then people fuck that up. So now I don't think you can even really get that close to it. But so we can't have nice things. Yeah, people are. It's like the Titanic we talked about. People are landing their submarine on it, and then a lot of the Mexican step pyramids you can't go on anymore because people were graffitiing it. Mm-hmm. And then somebody crawled on top of the Great Pyramid and had sex on top of it, and then like recorded it with a drone. Like, what is wrong with you? What? Also, why? Oh. It's very pointy. <laughs> <laughs> Is that even comfortable? (laughs) No. But then he was like, we weren't actually having sex. We were just pretending for the picture. I'm like, okay, no, no. You're dumb. Even so, that's still like defacing it so bad. It is. Yeah, they're probably, I think they're either threats of prison or in prison. Because it's, I mean, it's a world heritage site. But also, it's highly protected in Egypt. Which, of course, it would be. That's a pretty big fuck you, basically. Yeah, it's... People are gross. Okay, the next one is the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, which has always fascinated me. Like, the photos you see of it. Oh, it's so beautiful. So, according to ancient Greeks and poets, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon were built near the Euphrates River in modern-day Iraq by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar, which is a fun name to say, around 600 BCE. The gardens were said to be planted as high as 75 feet into the air on huge square brick terraces that were laid out like steps, kind of like a theater is. 
Mm-hmm. The king allegedly built the towering gardens to ease his lover, Amethyst, homesickness for the natural beauty of her home in Medea, which is the northwestern part of modern-day Iran. Later writers described how people could walk underneath the beautiful gardens, which rested on tall stone columns. Modern scientists have deduced that for the gardens to survive in this manner, they would have had a very sophisticated irrigation system consisting of a pump, water wheel, and cisterns to carry water from the Euphrates. And it would have to also go very, like, a lot of feet up in the air. So that's why it's one of the wonders. And then here's, I'm going to burst the bubble. It says that there's multiple accounts in Greek and Roman literature. But none of them are firsthand, and there's absolutely no mention of the gardens being found in Babylonian cuneiform inscriptions. So as a result, a lot of modern scholars are starting to believe that the existence of these gardens are just a fictional tale made up by the Greeks and Romans. But it's not necessary. It just It could just not have survived. So a lot of times, firsthand accounts haven't necessarily survived. Like, we know a lot about Egypt from, you know the Romans writing about it, but the Egyptian stuff didn't exist. So I'm holding out hope that it's still real. Have you ever seen a picture of it? Yeah. You see it? Oh, it's floating. Oh, yeah. yeah. There we go. Yeah. It's like a temple and then all the gardens. I want to so live there. Cool. God, me too. So I'm like, I refuse to believe that it didn't exist. It existed. Yeah. There's yeah, pictures. I'm going really, to agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We all just love pictures. It. It's real. It's real. <laughs> it's on the it's real. Of course. So the next one is the statue of Zeus. He was the king of the gods in Greek mythology. And the statue was crafted by the Athenian sculptor Phidias and completed in place at the Temple of Zeus in Olympia, site of the ancient Olympics around the mid-5th century BCE. The statue depicted the god of thunder seated bare-chested on a wooden throne. Holding up the throne's armrests are two carved sphinxes. There are mythological creatures with the head and chest of a woman and body of a lion and wings of a bird. The statue of Zeus was richly decorated with golden ivory. It was 40 feet tall, and it was so tall that its head nearly touched the top of the temple. According to legend, the sculptor asked Zeus for a sign of his approval after finishing the statue. Soon after, the temple was struck by lightning. What? Is that like Back to the Future? Yeah! (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I mean, also he was the god of like thunder and lightning so i would be like hell yeah he likes it Woo!" <laughs> <laughs> like every artist just wants that kind of feedback so zeus graced the temple of olympia for more than eight centuries before a christian priest persuaded the roman emperor to close the temple in the fourth century 80 or ce at that time the statue was moved to a temple in constantinople where it's believed to have been destroyed in a fire in the year 462 Aww. god damn it Next is the Temple of <laughs> Artemis. There was actually more than one Temple of Artemis. There's a series of several altars and temples that were destroyed and then restored on the same site in, oh crap, Ephesus, a Greek port city on the west coast of modern-day Turkey. The most fabulous of these structures were two marble temples built around 550 BCE and 350 BCE, respectively. Apart from Olympus, the sun never looked on anything so grand, says the writer, Antipater of Sidon, who wrote of the Temple of Artemis in Ephesus. The original Temple of Artemis was designed by a Cretan architect named, oh God, Chersiphron <laughs> and his son Metagenes. That's probably Great. not right. Metagenes. That's <laughs> 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 the most hillbilly way to pronounce that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Anybody <laughs> knows. And um, 
It was decorated by some of the most celebrated artists of the ancient world. The building burned on July 21st, 356 BCE, according to legend, the same night Alexander the Great was born. And it was torched by a Greek citizen named Herostratus, who claimed he burned the marble so that his name would be known to history. Oh, fuck you, dude. He was put to death, and then the government made it illegal to say his name. So he burnt it down to his name to history, and they're like, we're going to fucking kill you if you say his name. So, you know, karma. I already forgot his name. Yeah, me too. <laughs> About six years later, the building of a new temple of Artemis was begun. The new building was surrounded by marble steps that led to more than 400-foot-long terrace. Inside stood a 127-60-foot uh, marble columns and the statue of Artemis, the Greek goddess of the hunt. Archaeologists disagree whether the building had an open-air ceiling or it was topped with wood tiles. The temple was largely destroyed by the Ostrogoths in 262 CE, and it was not until the 1860s that archaeologists actually dug up some of the ruins of these columns. So, that's kind of cool. Wow. I wish I would have found something cool like that. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't didn't you find something in your backyard? It was a chicken I really thought it was a dinosaur. <laughs> okay, the next one is the mausoleum at Heliconarsis. It's located in what's now southeastern Turkey. The mausoleum was a tomb built by Artemisia for her husband, Mausolus, the king of Carnia in Asia Minor after his death in 353 BC. Mausolus was also Artemisia's brother, Yik. And according to legend, she was so grief-stricken at his passing that she mixed his ashes with water and drank them in addition to ordering the mausoleum's construction. Extra ick. The massive (laughs) mausoleum was made entirely of white marble and is thought to have been 135 feet high. The building's complicated design consisted of three rectangular layers, may have been an attempt to reconcile Lycian Greek and Egyptian architectural styles. The first layer was a 60-foot base of steps followed by a middle layer of 36 iconic columns and a stepped pyramid-shaped roof. At the very top of the roof lay a tomb decorated by the work of four sculptors in a 20-foot marble rendition of a four-horse chariot. God, I mean, money is really wasted on people like this. <laughs> right? <laughs> the mausoleum was largely destroyed in an earthquake in the 13th century, and its remains were later used in the fortification of a castle. In 1846, pieces of one of the mausoleum friezes was extracted from the castle, and it now resides, along with other relics, in London's British Museum. Oh, that's interesting. Go see that. The next one is the Colossus of Rhodes. It's an enormous bronze sculpture of the sun god Helios built by the Rhodians. It took 12 years, and it was in the 3rd century BCE. The city was the target of the Macedonian siege early in the 4th century BCE, and according to legend... The Rodians sold the tools and equipment left behind by the Macedonians to pay for the Colossus. Designed by the sculptor Chares, which I read Charles earlier, and I was like, that's a weird name for this time period, but no, it's not Charles. The statue was at 100 feet, and it's the tallest of the ancient world. It was completed around 280 BCE and stood for 60 years until it toppled an earthquake, which earthquakes Mm -hmm. are really taking down all these things. Yeah. Hundreds of years later, Arabs invaded Rhodes and sold the remains of the statue as scrap metal. Because of this, archaeologists do not know much about its exact location or what it looked like. Most believe that it depicted the sun god standing naked while he lifted a torch with one hand and held a spear with the other. 
And it was once believed that the statue stood with one leg on each side of the harbor, which is probably, if you've seen a photo, you've probably seen that picture. But now they say that because of its weight being bronze, there's no way it could have held itself up that way. So it probably would have stood with its legs together because, you know, weight distribution and all that. It's also naked. Can you imagine being a boat going underneath your legs? And the last one is the Lighthouse of Alexandria. And it was located on a small island called Pharos near the city of Alexandria. It was designed by the Greek architect Sostratos and completed around 270 BCE during the reign of Ptolemy II. The lighthouse helped guide Nile River ships in and out of the city's busy harbor. Archaeologists found ancient coins on which the lighthouse was depicted, and from them deduced that the structure had three tiers, a square level at the bottom, a octagonal level in the middle, and a cylindrical top. Above that stood a 16-foot statue, most likely of Ptolemy II or Alexander the Great, for whom the city was named after. Although estimates of the lighthouse's height by range from 200 to 600 feet, most modern scholars believe that it was about 380 feet tall, and the lighthouse was gradually destroyed during a series of earthquakes, again, from 956 <laughs> to 1323. Some of the remains have recently been found at the bottom of the Nile, so that's kind of cool. Oh, oh, that's neat. Yeah. And then, real quick, in 2007, they created the new Seven Wonders of the World. And I didn't know this, but yeah, they had millions of people vote for the UNESCO World Heritage Sites, like I talked about, and the top ones made the list. And they span across four continents, and they attract thousands of tourists every year. So the first one is the Great Wall of China. The next one is the Taj Mahal. The third one is Petra Jordan. The next one is the Colosseum in Rome. And then there's Christ the Redeemer statue in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. And then Chichen Itza that we talked about yesterday. And then the last one is Machu Picchu in Peru. Oh, yeah. I want to go there. And the Great Wall. I'm, I'm kind of close to the Great Wall right now. Yeah, you're not that far. Uh, you guys yeah. want to come over? We can... <laughs> <laughs> so wait, like, wait, wanna come over? like like it's just a drive <laughs> <laughs> all right guys we have a shout out this week it is brianna she's our new majestic as fuck patreon member like majestic like magic <laughs> yes yes she's so lovely i sent her a message and she said that she really enjoyed the asylum episodes and then she also said that she hopes that we do more Norse mythology because that's her jam. And I'm like, we got you, I'm girl. I'm totally up for that. Yeah. Yes. I'm totally up for that. We, we got you. I am excited. Since I did the crazy squirrel, I've been just dying to do something else. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, the rage, the rage squirrel. Of squirrel. That, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somebody even came on Twitter and they just put rage for that squirrel that's doing that. I'm like, somebody, somebody made us on theme. <laughs> it makes me so happy. <laughs> But yeah, if you would like to join Patreon, you can get access to that drunk dive we keep talking about and lots of other stuff. We have we have bloopers, deleted scenes. Oh, like last episode, we had so many deleted scenes. It's probably like 10 clips. So you get a lot of extra content. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we go on a lot of wild tangents, you guys. And uh, we have book lists and bucket lists and just all kinds of good shit. So go to www.patreon.com slash historical AF pod and check that out. Feel free to also look us up on our social media, Historical AF Pod, and we are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please, please, please check this out. We have 
Mad Live Mondays. We've got all kinds of fun facts. And I like that, I like that Kina does the – granted, she does all of them. But okay. I am full moral support of the this happened when, like on that date in history. I think those are so much fun and cool fun facts and stuff. And please send in your Mad Libs. We got one the other day, and it was hilarious. So totally encourage that, along with our stories, too. Historicalafpod <laughs> at gmail.com. Our little motif yeah. of historicalness. <laughs> yeah. And also, the only thing that's not Historical AF Pod is our website. That's historicalafpodcast.wordpress.com. And there we have our sources, and we put up all our pictures. So if you're starting from the beginning and you don't want to dig through Facebook, just go to our website. It has little blogs, posts for everything we do. And from there, you can find our merch site, which is shop.spreadshirt.com slash historicalafpod. And then there's links to our Patreon. There's little bios for us and us pictures of us being super ass nerdy and all kinds of fun stuff. And then also, please, please, please review us. On Apple Podcasts. Ooh, puppy. Yeah, so the more reviews we get, the more visible we are. So if we get a bunch of reviews, we're like topping charts. And then when nobody reviews us for a while, we are not on charts. So finally, if you have a story you want to send us to read on our extra episodes, that's historicalafpod at gmail.com. So any weird, spooky, morbid, funny, family history, hometown legends, just pretty much whatever. Mm-hmm. We've had people send us just links to news articles to read. So anything. If you don't want to do the research, just tell us what to research. I'll do it. You know I'm going to do it. You've heard my stories. I like to research. She does. <sighs> I do. That's way too much. I got I got I, I write all these huge notes and then I'm like, oh, God, I got to tone it down. So then I have to like cut half of it. God, I'm nervous. <laughs> anyway, we'll see you guys next week. All right. Bye. And thank you, bye. Audrey. Bye. Bye. Thanks for having me. <laughs> have a wonderful week. This is Weird on the Rocks, a podcast that explores the weird, unusual, strange, and unexplained, all while getting our drink on. Join me every other Monday as I share a different cocktail and discuss true crime, paranormal stories, unexplained phenomena, conspiracy theories, and much more. Find Weird on the Rocks on social media, the website weirdontherocks.weebly.com, and listen on all of your favorite podcast apps. And don't forget to cheers and stay weird.